Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. And tonight we are talking about Brotherhood by Mike Chen. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad Schonk. Over to you first, Chad. Your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this brand new book. Over the course of our conversations, we may also spoil anything else Star Wars, up to and including the latest episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. We may talk about that too. Who the hell knows what what we're going to say? We don't know what we're going to say. That has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, what you got for us? Yeah, we're kind of in the celebration hangover. Most of the news cycle seems to be dominated by Obi-Wan and Reva and the Great Inquisitor, and now lay in a jacket. And so that is what most people are, are, are talking about. What they got from Obi-Wan that I did see that I was interested in, um, Bonnie, and I can never say her last name, who plays Baru. Baru, she has said that there will be more Baru and Lars in the final two episodes of Obi-Wan, that we'll get to see them a lot more. So I'm hoping we're going to get to see some Baru Liberator slash Fromageur. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully at some point he gets back to actually looking after the kid he's supposed to have been looking after. Filoni had an interesting interview where he has has talked about that he sketched out. He knows how Ahsoka and Luke met. He has basically written the scene. He knows what he wants it to be. He doesn't know if we're ever going to see it or where, but, you know, he's got that. That's one of those scenes everybody keeps talking about they wanted to see. And so, you know, Flamie's come out and said, yeah, I know how it happens. I just don't know if we're going to see it. Uh, Bad Batch got an official release date. It's going to come out on September 28th. So that kind of fills in that late summer, early fall kind of time before the good stuff starts. What else do we got? Uh, over on the toy side, Yak Face, which if you don't use Yak Face, is a really good website, Instagram page, oh, okay. that um, does a lot of the toy stuff. And one thing they do, I don't know who does this or how they do it, but they're able to find the code names of the figures that are coming out. And usually they are like, Love them together. So we'll say like Montana, Colorado, Wyoming. So it's just code words. You don't know what they are. But they went in and found, one, there's going to be 19 new vintage series collection, which is a lot coming soon. But then today, they put out how many Black Series figures will be coming out. And that number is 36. (laughs) That's in the the next year? Yes. Usually it's over the next year. 36 figures. Now, that'll include the archive wave. And the Black Series code words sometimes fall under, like, the props and things like that. But 36. Like some of the helmets and stuff for Black Series, right? Yeah. Yeah, the shapers, that sort of thing. What else? Watiti's been kind of on his... Nine Nub will be one of them. It's got to be soon. Come on, please, please. Um, Watiti's on his press tour for Love and Thunder, and, you know, they're kind of asking him about Star Wars. Uh, I expect we'll see more over the next couple of weeks. It leaked Kennedy. They are shooting for the Watiti movie to come out in December of 23, but 
in, I guess, his interviews, he's still talking about still working on the writing of it and how he's working on putting in the Star Wars wheelhouse. So I think that is a dream on Kathleen Kennedy's part. <laughs> that movie's going to come out next December. Um, there's just no way. There's too much work to it. He, Are you excited for Love and Thunder? I'm so excited for Love and Thunder. I'll tell you what. Even my wife, who, you know, she'll watch Marvel movies, but she's seen the preview for that one, and she's like, that looks really good. I really like <laughs> like the humor in that one. I just, I was just wondering if you were excited for Natalie's return. His girlfriend with muscles. Yeah, the strongest lady there is. It's gonna be great. Um, and then finally, over on the fake hollow. So, old Star Wars Newsnet. They've got a pretty reliable source that gives them info sometimes. And they had two things that have come out. One, not quite as interesting one it is. So one, we do know one of the live action shows soon is going to go to Batuu. Oh, thank goodness. Maybe the the Halcyon will be there. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, it was only a matter of time. And or maybe. Uh, Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm bet we're going to end up on a old Black Spire outpost or something. Yeah. And then the more interesting rumor is that when the Acolyte comes out, a bunch of the Legend Sith will be brought into canon. They have not, they don't know how. Like, it's not necessarily that they're going to appear as a, you know, live action character, but they will be referenced and officially brought into canon. And they specifically said Revan, Malik, Bane, Nihilus. We will see how that works. Like, I don't know if they're... I mean, Bane is technically considered already... Yeah, he was on Clone Wars. He's in canon, yeah, because he's in Clone Wars with when Yoda sees him. Yeah. But the others are going to be brought back in, you know, conveniently timed for the re-release of KOTOR and the rumor of the new games they're making. Well, we had talked about that, that does them re-releasing KOTOR make it canon? Yeah. Maybe they just decide KOTOR's canon with the re-release. Yeah, I mean, maybe just a line and acolyte will pull Kotar officially into canon. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. it for news. What is going on in the comic book? The only thing that's come out since we talked last time was um, Star Wars number 24, the main book by Sewell and Rosanas. It wraps up the stories that have dominated the book since War of the Bounty Hunters ended, the rescue of Shara Bay, and Leia's rivalry with Commander Ellen Zara. Don't worry, Leia makes it out okay. I really just can't wait for Crimson Rain to end. That's coming very soon. And that's what I'm most excited for. Um, and I'm the next issue, issue 25, seems to be like this kind of like all covering all eras kind of anniversary issue, almost like an annual type of thing. There's I've already seen some alternate covers for it or whatever. God, I'm hoping we get past Return of the Jedi. I'm just hoping we get past Return of the Jedi. I don't know what other stories they want to tell. It's time. <laughs> it's it's getting to be too much. It's time me, and and the book or and the book or not, but So let me ask you a question about mm-hmm this recent arc in the main book. Yeah. Just because it bothers me. I do not think that the empire would be rolling around with Tarkin's will with a big hole in the side of it. And me, I'm like, this is to inspire our troops. Like that's just not how the empire rolls. At least to me. I don't know why that. Like, no, there's a little bit of, um, that's why I wonder, I want them to move past return of the Jedi because like the whole story with, Zara reminds me of a post Return of the Jedi story. Yeah. She reminds me of like a post and we'll we'll get into this when we talk about Rogue Squadron in two weeks. But it reminds me of that kind of post Return of the Jedi era where there's like the warlords, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that and the time leading up to Thrawn. That's what she reminds me of more than she reminds me of an Empire era 
character. Yeah, I agree. I like the rivalry between her and Leia. It's 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 kind of cool. It's given Leia something to concentrate on, except for find, that's not finding Han, and she's proven to be formidable. And and it's not not a bad arc, but yeah. Now you say that, you really could do that entire arc post Return of the Jedi, except for the Han yeah. part. Yeah, but even then, it would take minimal to. I'm just I'm just tired, and I think that you know they've crammed it pretty full. Yeah. And um, and we don't necessarily need any more story in here. So I'm kind of hoping this next issue 25, like I said, it seems to be this kind of out of time, like I said, almost an annual or something. Mm-hmm. It's called like the title of it is like called Across the Eras or something like that. So I'm hoping we can like maybe maybe that'll be a benchmark that we can move past. Maybe that's Sewell's last issue, you know, and then they hand it off to somebody else like they've done before with the book. I don't know. Stay still, Lily. Let me clean this gut. There's so many. Do they all have a system of planets? Most of them. Has anyone been to them all? Hmm. <laughs> Not likely. I want to be the first one to see them all. All right. Well, before we get into our book tonight, which is very Anakin heavy, and in keeping with discussing Anakin, I thought we would talk a little bit first before we get into the book about how Anakin has changed for us over the years, because the guy we're reading about tonight is not the guy that we met in the prequels. He is very, very different. And obviously we've all come to feel about him differently during the course of the clone wars and, and the, the various books. So Let's just talk a little bit about how we've changed maybe our opinions on Anakin over the years. <laughs> you see that in, I mean, I, I think you're in like this book, especially the Clone Wars, and even back in, you know, that last Queen's book, Queen's Hope. They've done a good job recently of kind of reforming or making it more understandable, I guess. He's been one of the big problems in Star Wars, right? Like, Ever since Phantom Menace, he's been a problem because Lucas wanted you to, wanted to have a hero that we would love, but then we would also believe would fall. And he was never, and in the course of the movies between the two actors, it just didn't work. It just never quite worked. The Clone Wars and any other proceeding media, they had a, they had a big job in front of them. They have had a big job in front of them because Clone Wars, because the sequel or movie Anakin just, it didn't work. And so um, I think over the, over the years, I mean, starting with Jake Lloyd, clearly who honestly might be better than Hayden Christensen in those movies um, only because he's got a lot less to do and say, but starting with Jake Lloyd and, and kind of the negative reaction to him. And then the, again, not helped out by the screenplay at all um, travails that Hayden Christensen was under. I think, uh, I think they've worked hard it seems like it's a recent push, though. Clone Wars, he was good. And mm. Clone Wars, he was very cool. I never, except for like a few moments, like the murder of Trench and a couple things like that, right? Where he where he just flat out murders Trench, where that I saw that anger and that violence in him. Um, most of the time, he was just impulsive, square-jawed hero, which, which was fine. But I feel like recently, there's been a little bit of a push. Maybe it's because he's coming on the Obi-Wan show and the Ahsoka show, and they're trying to bring him back into the consciousness. But I think lately they've done a lot more. You know, Clone Wars, he he was better. 
but I don't know if they're trying to make him likable now because of bringing Vader back. I don't know that they're going to ever make Vader sympathetic. And if that's what they're trying to do, that's an even tougher uphill push. So I think Vader is sympathetic. I think he, I mean, I I think he's, I I think the moment you find out that he wasn't a, a, a machine, but a man in there and, and he becomes, and and it, who comes back from the darkness to me that I mean Lucas made him sympathetic by the time he get to the end of Jedi. I I, I some people disagree and I, I get it. They like their Vader like they like their coffee, just you know dark and black and evil, right? I like this new. I like nuanced Vader. I like Vader who still ruminates on his past like they have him and do in the comics. Um, I just think it's more interesting. It's maybe not as dynamic on screen and, and it shouldn't be on screen on screen. He could just be the big evil, but I like seeing a more nuanced version of Vader. And I actually think they've done a better job with Vader as a character, especially in the comics over the last seven years than they've done with Anakin. Like they've, they've, they've deepened Vader's character more than they've deepened Anakin's except for these couple of books that we're talking about personally, but I said, I, I like, I like a slightly, not, not all the way. I like a slightly conflicted Vader. Like yeah. it may have just a little tiny bit of conflict in him. Well, I like a Vader who still believes he can rule the galaxy better than anyone. And he's still trying to fix it all. But at yeah, the same yeah. time, he's being used by old Sheev so much. And I think that makes the return of the Jedi seem better because it's not until Luke turns off his lightsaber and throws it down and is like, I'm not going to do this, that Vader sees, whoops, I done did it wrong. Right. I, 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 when, when, it, when it was my turn, I made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And then and Luke makes the right choice. Now, I still have problems. I, this book and D.K. Johnson book and some of the stuff they've done, I think they have made the fall of Vader make more sense or the fall of Anakin to the dark side. I still have a problem with how quick he went from, all right, I'll hang out with Sheev to child murder. <laughs> like that was a, that's a big jump yeah. real quick. And there's not much they could, I mean, they had to do it, <laughs> but that's still kind of abrupt. I think. Yeah. The child murder still feels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of the story and we've all accepted it, but it's definitely, uh, definitely feels it's like I said, I've still, we've talked about it a bunch and, and the scene in Palpatine's office being so vital to the entire saga. If you look, look, if you look at that scene through the point of view of he's, he's acting out of fear, mm-hmm. it works, you know, um, but he, he, he attacks Mace Windu out of fear. And I guess the thought process is, well, I'm in, I'm all <laughs> in now. Right. Like I can't, I can't, I can't undo that. And so he bows down to Palpatine and says, I guess I'm a Sith now. Unless, unless the implication is that Palpatine puts kind of some kind of spell over him or something, or that, that there's a switch that goes off. Like when your eyes turn yellow, you know, like, like some kind of dark side rage. Yeah. Basically something like that where, you know, because when he attacks the temple, his eyes are yellow, which is something that Lucas came up with then. (laughs) Like it was never a thing before. I mean, I can see, like, even if there was, like, a bit of dialogue in there where Palpatine's like, all right, look, you want to save Padme, the only way is we got to get rid of all these Jedi. 
Yeah. And at that point, he's so freaked out by it. He's just like, all right, I guess we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> like, there just didn't seem to be a reason to kill all the younglings. Oh, there is if you're Sheev. Well, if you're Sheev, yeah. But, I mean, go kill all these kids cause, just because I said so. Well, he just tells them to go kill everyone in the temple. And they're in the temple. Or even if you got like a scene like right after where you see him feeling kind of bad about it. And then Palpatine's like, yeah, Padme, uh, you better go take care of that. And he kind of snaps back. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard she's fucking Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> I still think a love triangle would have worked. I mean, I know we'll talk about it more, but, you know, there was that little minute in that scene in that scene at Obi-Wan tonight where she was like, are you my real father? And I wanted him to go, well, maybe. <laughs> I don't there know for this- sure. <laughs> Leia, have you heard of Spice? There's this one yeah, yeah, and your mom were hanging yeah. out. We were really worried about your real dad. And uh, She yeah. has heard of Spice. She's been around it now. It's true. She has been around it now. She's also spent time with a chili pepper. Um, mm-hmm. Can't believe Flea is on that show. Anyway. Um, He's dead now. I, I think re- I've only I've only recently begun to understand him. And, 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 uh, and that's not to say I don't like him. I like Matt Lanter's Anakin. And I've enjoyed Matt Lanter's Anakin. That didn't help me understand the crucial part of the story as much. Um, because Clone Wars doesn't show that. Clone Wars doesn't show his fall. We we get to hear it in the final episodes. But we don't get to see it. Well, I think the, the Clone Wars makes him likable. But yes. these these books give him depth. And he needed both. I mean, he initially needed to be likable for us to care if he fell. Clone Wars, you see a little bit that he thinks he's better than the Jedi. Yeah. These, the books recently, you kind of see why he thinks that. Like, what he really thinks about all these other people and what he can do that they can't. Whether he's the chosen one, whether he's not, things like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it is funny that some of the biggest problems that Lucas left behind, they all involved Anakin or Anakin's relationships. Like, those are the big problems that he left. Um uh, for p- other people to, I hate to say it for other people to fix, but for other people to fix, you know, I mean, he, he missed on those two important things. And it just feels like a bad area to miss in though. I mean, that's, that's your main character. I mean, it's tough to, it's, you know, it's tough to, to land. Anakin Skywalker was built up in our minds for so long too, as to who he, who he was, who, who, what he could have been. What was Luke's dad? Like, what was he like before he was Darth Vader? Who was Darth Vader before he was Darth Vader? Um, and then it didn't live up to our expectations at all in the movies. And it's fact subverted our expectations a little bit because he turned out to be kind of a whiny bitch, which is intentional, but still felt wrong watching it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't entertaining to watch him being whiny. wasn't entertaining. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. The Clone Wars did a good job making us like him. And now it feels like we're getting a little more between EK Johnson and Mike Chen. We're getting, we're getting yeah a much more in depth character profile of him and and I'm starting to believe I'm starting to believe that he's Darth Vader yeah still still don't 100 percent but I'm starting to believe that he's Darth Vader yeah he has those little moments where you see him kind of slip into that authoritarian yes that authoritarianism the um are you questioning the Republic how dare you. How great would it have been on Obi-Wan, though, when Leia looks up and says, are you my dad? He just looks her in the face and goes, well, your mom always did like a master, and then winked at her. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. See, if they had worked in a love triangle, then that moment could have had more po- that moment would have had more power, you know. Uh, like, uh, I don't know. Oh yeah, I, I knew I, your mom. I don't know. I already have a Mandalorian baby bouncing around somewhere, so I have no idea. Uh, I just want someone else to call him Sky Guy. Like someone say it again. I want to see it on a Ahsoka soap, doesn't uh, say it anymore. Come on, just just work it in somehow. Just to watch. I want to watch her call Vader Sky Guy. <laughs> just watch him go into a rage. They kept they kept snips for longer than Sky Guy. Yeah. I can't picture how she would work that into a conversation with him as Vader though. Yeah, but if he's Force Ghost Anakin. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I can see that. I, I'd get I'd get teary if if the you know he shows up as Force Ghost and they call each other Snips and Sky Guy. Uh-huh. Sure. Go for it. Who cares? It's all stupid. Who cares? That's what I'm starting to learn with Star Wars and it's the attitude I'm starting to take. It's all dumb. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, I know it's, I mean, I know you're like, oh, that's not how Vader's helmet works. And I get it. At the same time, I'm like, I don't care. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, like, and I, and I, I take Star Wars more serious, more seriously than most people. One might say I take it too seriously. We all take it too seriously, but it's all stupid. Who cares? <laughs> you know? That helmet does not work that way. <laughs> I know the helmet doesn't work that way. <laughs> the I history know. will be rewritten again, probably three or four more times. We'll, just, we'll be like 90 years old and Shwek will be screaming about the helmet not working right. <laughs> the helmet will have changed three times since then. Just, you know, give me the stories you want to give me. Screw it, you know, and and let it be and let it all be dumb. So it's all it's all silly made up space nonsense anyway. So but it's our silly made-up space nonsense. Are you coming, Master? Oh, no, I'm not brave enough for politics. I have to report to the Council. Besides, someone needs to be the poster boy. Hold on. This whole operation was your idea. Let us not forget, Anakin, that you rescued me from the buzz droids, and you killed Count Dooku, and you rescued the Chancellor, carrying me unconscious on your back. All because of your training. Anakin, let's be fair. Today, you are the hero. And you deserve your glorious day with the politicians. All right. Well, you owe me one, and not for saving your skin for the tenth time. Ninth time. That business on Cato Nemoidia doesn't, doesn't count. I'll see you at the briefing. Just because that business on Cato Nemoidia doesn't count doesn't mean we don't want to know about it. So here comes Mike Chen to the rescue to tell us all about that business. The same day Anakin is promoted to Jedi Knight, and Obi-Wan to master on the council, the largest city of Cato Nemoidia loses an entire neighborhood in the largest of its floating cities. A whole lot of people are pointing the finger at the Republic on the assumption that they're still mad about Newt Gunray's faction of the Trade Federation trying to take over Naboo and kill their former queen. They want Sheev to come answer for this, but Obi-Wan is not having it. Instead, he convinces them to accept him, performing an impartial investigation. Count Dooku quite correctly points out that the Jedi's integration into the Republic military hardly makes them impartial, so he's sending his own agent to keep Obi-Wan honest. Now Obi-Wan is alone on a new planet with no backup, mistrustful guards, and the hostile, hostile Asajj Ventress all blocking his attempts to help a grieving population. 
Without Anakin at his side, the odds are already stacked against him, and only Ruge, a former special ops sniper, is willing to give him a chance. Ruge is genuinely a good being who got a tough break, but is really trying to help her people and do her duty. It's not her fault she's been saddled with a hot-headed rookie named Kitar Nor, who is more interested in listening to Ventress spout her separatist nonsense than in solving the real crime. Ruge and Obi-Wan begin an uneasy alliance, eventually becoming drinking buddies, while they try to uncover the truth of this destruction together. And where is Anakin? Well, he's back on Coruscant, trying to sneak in a little alone time with his new wife. That's right, this book takes place literally the day after Queen's Hope. But don't worry if you haven't had time to read it yet, you get a little bit of a recap here, or even better, go listen to our episode so that you know the most important parts, which of course is that Anakin and Padme got married and after a very short honeymoon, they're both back at work. Luckily, they're both on the planet, same planet for a few days and are able to sneak in some time around all of their various other obligations. Padme is hard at work in the Senate and Anakin is getting the previously mentioned promotion hanging out with nosy old Sheev who wants to know just everything about him and his feelings. And Anakin tells Sheev about his mom, but not about Padme. Incidentally, if you were ever in any doubt of Obi-Wan knowing about her and Anakin, you can definitely put that doubt aside now. His, oh, summed up everything perfectly. Anakin is also preparing for his next mission, taking a group of younglings to deliver medical supplies to a planet in need. One of those younglings is Mil Alabeth, a Zabrak who can feel pain so strongly through the Force that she tries to cut herself off from the Force itself. Despite his overly ironic discomfort around younglings, we get it, we know he's getting a Padawan soon, it's funny. He makes a connection with Mill and has some nice heart-to-hearts with her about his own past. Anakin has given Obi-Wan a special secret emergency communicator in a special secret case that can only be broken by a lightsaber. It's a good thing Obi-Wan is the only being on Cato Nemoidia who has a lightsaber. Oh, wait. They don't know about Ventress yet. Well, anyway... Anakin is on the planet Langston, complaining about sand again, and distributing medical supplies when Obi-Wan calls him to send him some damning information he found on a mysterious data pad to have the diner owner, Dexter Jetster, analyze. And Mill is using her force ability to find people in pain who need her help. Turns out Mill can do not only force healing, but force sleepiness, too, which is pretty handy to have in a war. The datapad Obi-Wan found was planted in a secret bunker by Ventress to frame the Republic. She is not happy to find it gone, so she and Kitar sneak into Obi-Wan's room and cut open his not-lightsaber-proof case to use his communicator and datapad as proof of his duplicity to the Nemordians. After a daring chase through the heights of the city, Obi-Wan is arrested, and Anakin doesn't know how to help other than by taking a ten-year-old along on a really dangerous rescue mission. Rug wants to help, but Obi-Wan won't sacrifice her for his freedom, 
but by combining the evidence they've gathered, they pieced the plot together. Katasura wasn't destroyed by the Republic, the Separatists, or even the Trade Federation. Only one thing could gain from pitting all sides against each other. The dark side. Somehow. The Sith couldn't possibly have that much power, so it just must have been the dark side of the Force making people evil, and that's as much of an explanation as they look for. Meanwhile, Anakin and Mill sneak into the city disguised as merchants and start trying to track down Obi-Wan. But R2 is with them, and his scans turn up something much worse. Seven bombs, all set to blow the next day, the day of Obi-Wan's trial. Anakin makes the difficult choice to stop the bombs first and save Obi-Wan second. See, he's finally thinking about doing his duty first, just like Padme and Obi-Wan always wanted him to. But as luck would have it, all of the bombs are around the area where the trial is taking place. So after disarming all of them, Anakin sends Mill to scout an escape route. And with R2 scanning for guards, her scanning for pain, she finds out that the infirmaries aren't guarded. So let's just all go scare the hell out of some injured and traumatized people. At Obi-Wan's trial, Kitar gives a big speech about how badly his artist parents were treated by the Republic. And it was pretty bad, in fairness to him. And is backed up by Ventress and her evidence. Obi-Wan is found guilty by a riled-up crowd, who get even more riled up as the guards who are about to take him away start dropping dead from poison. Having stashed his lightsaber in a tower before his capture, he summons the blade into his hand, only to have it almost take out Anakin as he leaps to Obi-Wan's aid. They make their daring escape by taking the high ground again. Anakin should really be taking note of how much Obi-Wan likes it up there. Where they kill a lot of droids, but have a genuinely touching moment together before continuing to escape. They finally go to ground, meeting up with Mill and R2, only to run into Kitar, the guy behind the bombs. He poisoned his fellow guards and set up the bombs to make Obi-Wan look bad, with a lot of encouragement from Ventress. And since he didn't succeed, he's going to use his one remaining bomb to take them all out. But Rug shows up to save the day, shoots the detonator out of his hand, and Anakin disarms the bomb. They then contact Padme to get the evidence of the bombing out to the Republic. And it's time to escape again. But of course, Ventress has something to say about that. She tries to talk Mill into joining her, and when that doesn't work, she grabs a girl and runs for her ship. Anakin and Ventress have a forced tug of war using a little girl as the rope, but luckily he wins without anyone getting really hurt. Back on Coruscant, Obi-Wan is made a permanent member of the Council. Mill decides her calling in the Force is as a healer rather than a knight, and Anakin realizes that he isn't leading a double life, he's leading his best life. And Sheev? Well, old Sheev uses Cato Nemoidia as an excuse to completely and fully integrate the Jedi Order into the Republic Army. And I'm sure they'll all live happily ever after. So, that's a fairly short synopsis, because other than the last quarter of this book, there's not a lot of action. This book is a lot of character and a lot of relationship, and I think it is great. Unless you're looking for an action book. <laughs> Don't look for this for an action book. 
So I'm sorry I couldn't fit the um, Kitar's name in there a few times more for you, Shwek. I know you, how you like that. So ridiculous. It's K-E-T-E-R. Keter. <laughs> I don't care what that audiobook says. <laughs> you, don't like the, you don't like that the word Kitar reminds you of like a Flock of Seagulls video from no. 1984? No. I also had a problem with Keter. I'm going to say Keter. And wrote <laughs> every time she was like, she would jump like doing parkour to like get places. And I guess just from the prequels, the old Caden and Nemoidians, they're always kind of shuffling around. Like, you never see them move very quick. And I was like, I've just always thought of them as, like, slower. Well, this is a much less racist portrayal of the Nemoidians. Yeah, the Nemoidians don't. There's a, there's a hint of it every once in a while with some characters. But there's not a, but the, the accents are gone. Maybe it's just much. the Trade Federation. Maybe they, yeah. may, may they just talk that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting that both this and Queen's Hope both are trying to shine a positive light on the Nemoidians. I wonder why that came. I mean, maybe that they worked backwards from the idea of let's tell the story of what happened on Kato Nemoidia. Yeah. And they worked backwards from there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they're trying to like, like the, I mean, Revenge of the Sith, I guess made them, not sympathetic, but at least they were like, whoa, 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 we were told this was all good. And then she is just another race that she screwed over and kind of his setup of everything. They're really, really careful to point out that Newt Gunray, like repeatedly point out that Newt Gunray is, is part of like, his guys are all extremists. Like we're not, we're not those guys. Yeah. That the trade federation as a whole doesn't join the separatists. Yeah. At least at this point. And, um, but just Newt and his guys. Um, yeah. Lots of the use of the word extremists in this book yeah. on both sides. Well, I mean, it's important to point out, right? We're we're right at the beginning of the war. Yeah, and the war is just broken out, and everyone's trying to figure out what side they're on. Yeah. I did and, think it was weird in the beginning. They talk super casually to Count Dooku, like they're on a video call. Yeah. Count Dooku's like, "Hey guys," <laughs> and you're yeah. like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think like Joe Biden is having super casual convos right now with Putin. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't just pop up on a voice call. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, did we it, forget to tell you we invited him? Sorry. <laughs> imagine that and then imagine if, if Putin had cut off Biden's arm. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, he's rightfully a little angry about that still, but, you know, he also is unreasonably angry at all Nemoidians about it. And and Sheev stirs that pot some too, because yeah, anytime An yeah, when Anakin is talking about them at the beginning, he just keeps reminding him of Newt Gunray. Well, I kidnapped Padme. You can't mess with precious Padme. Well, let's talk about that moment. The O when o when Obi Wan figures it out. It's so well done. It is. really is. It's so well done. Far too often, Anakin let his emotions dictate the situation. The tempering from Jedi training, working only as a leash to the impulses that still ruled his actions. But anything that let a Jedi's guard down for even a moment put the Republic at risk. Especially one as powerful as Anakin Skywalker. Especially one prophesied to be the Chosen One, to bring balance to the Force. And Padme, rather than dismissing it as she'd done in her apartment not too long ago, had amplified their connection. What to make of all of this? 
She was letting Anakin indulge in his infatuation, though to what degree Obi-Wan couldn't tell. But there was more to it, and Obi-Wan wasn't sure if he wanted to know where it led. Oh, the short word escaped him, an expression as unexpected as what he'd just witnessed. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and he thinks about it for a little while, and he's like, mm, this might require a conversation with Anakin at some point. Might require. Might require. I sh- maybe sh- might. Should I tell somebody about this? Maybe not. You know, I mean, he's talking about on the show right now, he has admitted that he made mistakes and just could be considered amongst them. It's a pretty big one. I mean, I was glad they brought that Satine stuff back in and mentioned it where he was like, well, I kind of screwed up too. I had a kid that nobody, we don't really talk about much. We all know it's mine. Look, they've hidden Corky away at this point. nobody, Nobody talks about Corky anymore. No, no. Yeah, I, I like there's a couple of mentions of uh, Dex teases him about Satine a little bit, I think, at one point. And then he sees a Holonet report with her when Mandalore declares themselves neutral. Um, it, it is interesting reading this, having, you know, watched Clone Wars, I guess, twice now through is this this is so early that none of these things are established yet. You know, I mean, this is the first time they meet Asajj Ventress. We'd never like that's that's new for us. Like I mean, whenever Asajj showed up in the in the in the show, they already knew who she was. They already had their banter. This is yes, this is that business on Kato Nemoidia, but it's also the origin story of their relationship with Asajj, which I thought was pretty cool and something that I thought was something I didn't expect out of this book. Um, one thing I think I really liked about it, and it wasn't real explicitly laid out, but I think it was the purpose maybe, is it kind of explained when Obi-Wan talks in the original trilogy about, you know, I thought I could train him as well. Um, And there's always been that kind of question too about did Obi-Wan screw up? And we've never seen him really screw up his training of Anakin. But I thought there was a really good point he made later where he kind of realizes that they both kind of viewed Qui-Gon as their master and that I don't think they were ever really master and Padawan in the traditional sense. And I think that's like part of that brotherhood thing is they were both just Qui-Gon's Padawans really. And Obi-Wan stepped in, but because they never had that real master relationship, that's partially probably what went wrong. We do get the sense that they've had this contentious 10-year relationship that we still haven't seen a ton of, right? We haven't seen a, a ton of their time bickering at, at each other. It it reminds me of like when your parents go out of town and your older sibling has to babysit you and they're in charge. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, come on. Like you like your brother. You're not my dad. Yeah, you like your brother, <laughs> but he is certainly not in charge of you. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, especially when you're the chosen one and you do know how to do everything. Oh, oh this book totally confirms that he gets made fun of for being the chosen one, like we said. <laughs> yeah. It totally confirms that some people say it with reverence and some people say it with amusement. Uh-huh. He totally got made fun of as a kid for being called the chosen one. We nailed that one for sure. Okay, chosen one, whatever you say. We were talking earlier about liking Anakin. These are things that made me like Anakin in this book. It's something I wish someone had picked up on earlier. His obsession with keeping up with pod racing. Uh-huh. Awesome. That's so great. 
Like, of course he would want to keep up with pod racing. Of course, like it, it lets him be a human being a little bit more and, and like a, a t- attachment. He's the only human being who's, who's able to pod race according to himself when he was a kid. He was the only, only human being that could do it. Of course he'd want to keep up on the pod racing circuit. I think that's awesome. And I think their date worked. The date that Anakin and Padme go on where they kind of go for a joy ride and then they go out to dinner and then they go apparently find some place in public to go screw. Um, yeah. I was like, brings, whoa, she, in a rented car. Yeah, she brings blankets and she's like, let's go find somewhere private. And I'm like, you guys are not at your home. You guys are like down in the bowels of Coruscant. They're, they're she, used to that sort of behavior. Yeah, she's like, let's just go find some quiet corner. <laughs> you know, and it's not very romantic. <laughs> but I thought the date worked. I thought the Anakin in that in that sequence admits that his, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier, Beth, about how he admits that his conversations with her before were awkward, that his courting of her was very awkward and clunky. You know, he kind of regrets it. You know, he, he doesn't regret it because of the outcome. That's results-based thinking, though. That's not that's not that's not going to get you anywhere. But uh, but I really thought their date, where then they order this like kind of Tatooine-ish dessert that kind of makes him a little a little melancholy and stuff, and she picks up on it. I don't know. It, I was like, oh, that's the scene I wanted to attack the clones. Yeah, was a scene like this where I actually felt a connection between them. And it still follows what we were talking about in the E.K. Johnson book, where it's still that kind of like sneaking away teenage oh, yeah. stuff. Although he doesn't take off his Jedi robe. I was like, what? Like, yeah. she's like, don't worry. No one will care down here. Yeah. And I was like, if I saw a space wizard walking by, <laughs> I, would, I would get pretty excited. I would be chasing after him. <laughs> like, like the younglings do going, show us some lightsaber tricks. <laughs> So I was glad that they dropped a lot of those younglings real quick because a whole bunch of children chasing around after Anakin wanting to see lightsaber tricks would have gotten annoying real quick. But I liked Mill. Yeah, I liked Mill. And she was she was a different kind of Jedi. I mean, you know, I don't want to be a Jedi Knight. I want to. I don't want to be with the Force. Even she reminded me of a, she reminded me of like a High Republic kid. Oh, yeah, her powers are kind of similar to. Uh... Amiri. Yeah. Yeah. To em- Emery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that way. But I like too that, you know, she's one of the, at least one of the kids that goes, good Lord, we talk about peace and all this stuff we're supposed to do. Hey kids, let's go get your sword. And she's like, I, I'm not down with this slaughter part of this job. Yeah. Why are, why are we in the army? I'd like to point something out though. They're just killing robots. 99% of their job is killing robots. <laughs> they're always, they're worried like we shouldn't be soldiers. Life is, you're killing robots. It's a slippery slope today. It's robots. I mean, I'm they kill plenty of other people. I understand there, there are separatists that aren't robots, but it's just, they're, they're killing robots. That's why Lucas made them robots. So you could kill a thousand of them and not feel bad. Yeah. I do think it's funny that, and this was totally unplanned that we just did Shatterpoint. And this has a lot of that same theme of, the Jedi shouldn't be generals. <laughs> We're trying to figure that whole part out. This even mentions, this even canonizes Shatterpoint. In this yeah. Book. You had a point, Ryan, uh, when we were talking about this book the first time around about how you felt like Palpatine was grooming Anakin. Yeah. Yeah, he totally is. Like he's, it's kind of creepy how he does it. Um, 
I mean, shoot, Palpatine really is grooming the entire galaxy. <laughs> the way yeah. he kind of slips in, and you just see him like slip in every once in a while. Like, well, uh, I mean, don't you think that if you're a general, you could do this a little better? And he goes like, I, t- I totally could do that. Well, and he even talks about the kids as like future warriors, yeah, and stuff. Uh, like you said, to try to plant it in in Anakin's head that that these kids could be dangerous, right? Like, yep. I, I, like like we were talking towards about his slaughter of the kids. You know, it, it was, you know, if you've ever seen a mob movie, you know, you always kill the son. Uh-huh. If you're going to kill, if you're going to kill, if you're going to kill the, the, the leader of a, a, a gang, you're going to, you have to kill the son or else the son is going to come back and kill you eventually. That's the whole story of the Godfather part two. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Anakin, I think the idea is Palpatine wants Anakin to look at the younglings as future threats. Yeah. Well, and I think they do a good job with, as far as the grooming part of leaning into and this probably doesn't get talked about as much as Anakin being a slave. It makes sense that he goes from being completely powerless to the authoritarian part of it. Right. Like you don't have, these people don't have to suffer like you did. Don't you think if you could have stopped this, you could make it so no one else has to do these things. Um, it, does it also make it where he's him having grown up a slave where he's not used to making his own decisions? which makes him very makes him very uh, malleable at times. Yeah. Like, well, you, you know, or, or, or likely to, to give in to someone like a Palpatine who he's, who is, is a new father figure for him. If, if we go, if we, you know, this book is called brotherhood because I think part of its premise is that Obi-Wan is not Anakin's father. Right. Obi-Wan's right. his brother. Right. And they share that. And, and we, by the time they get to the end of the book, I was very moved by what Chen kind of came up with about their relationship and how, how they work together and how the two of them together are badass, uh-huh. right? Like now that they're both Jedi Knights and you put them together, there's no stopping them. Yeah. Right? They complement each other in their styles and the way they right. handle problems. And they both come to that realization separately uh-huh. that like, oh, we can have a relationship that's beyond master and apprentice. We have a relationship now as basically as partners, uh-huh. right? And we've seen that with other Jedi. We've seen that with like Stellan and um, and Elzar and Avar, right? Where they're all kind of, you know, they work best when they're together, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I thought that was really interesting. That um, I, I thought that, that was really interesting. The idea of calling it brotherhood because yeah, they are f- so much closer to brothers than they are father and son. And they also say in the book too. They talk about how the thing that they have in common is that Qui-Gon believed in both of them. Mm-hmm. And that's, and like you said earlier, that's what sticks them together. Mm-hmm. Qui-Gon is what keeps them together. Cause you can switch Padawans and there, I'm sure there are plenty of times where Obi-Wan wanted to ditch him, but he made a promise and he couldn't. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of guilt there. Yeah. That Obi-Wan's going through. And I, and it feels almost like a resentment too. Like yeah. you, you stuck me with this. And he I was think too it's too young. Yeah, it's kind of freeing for him once Anakin becomes a Jedi Knight because he's not his responsibility anymore. But then I think he kind of realizes, yeah, we're this brotherhood. We're kind of a pair now. We're forever joined by this Qui-Gon type of thing. Um, I think, go back to the slave thing for a minute too, and they kind of play on this a little bit. Anakin also goes from being a slave to a Jedi which, I mean, let's be honest, is kind of a form of also being a slave. Like, 
Qui-Gon shows up and says, yeah, man, we're going to free you. Now you're going to come to the Jedi where you're also going to follow all these strict rules and all this right. stuff. Like, no yeah. kidding, this kid didn't rebel. And the first pretty girl he saw, the first angel he saw. <laughs> I was going to say. The first, <laughs> say. Yeah. The first angel. Was this the first we'd heard of the Sun Dragon, the legend of the Sun Dragon? Or the Star Dragon, Star Dragon, Sun Dragon. Sun Dragon. Yeah, the Sun Dragon. I think it was, right? Yeah. This, I liked it. This is a story his mom used to tell him, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of cool and kind of was a nice runner mm-hmm. throughout. Again, again, these are authors just attempting to give him more of an interior life yeah, than we've and, ever seen before. And it goes like that. And again, you know, and he loves this sun dragon story, but it's that there's this like fire inside of him that's being held back. And, you know, he's supposed to be the kid that's going to come back and free all the slaves and those damn Jedi are holding him down. Well, that's what the Sun Dragon's about, right? The Sun right. Dragon is has it it, it has such a, such a big heart, mm-hmm. but it's being contained um, within the sun, right? But the, but that it it's it's and and I think this book does, and this is one thing that I I is contradictory with Vader, but I think makes sense is that Anakin does have a big heart for for whatever for what it's worth his he 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 wears his emotions on his sleeve we know that good or good and bad but he is open he is emotionally open in a way that none of the other jedi are mm-hmm. and that will of course go south but it also makes him stronger yeah and 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 more of a hero and more likable and more lovable now mm-hmm. but it's also going to be what leads to his downfall i like with the sun dragon thing too Mill, you know, he tells Mill about it. Padme knows about it, but he hides it from Obi-Wan. Like, it's not something he's ever told Obi-Wan, which is a big part of him. And I think he's, I think it's showing, like, he is hiding a big part of himself from Obi-Wan. Because he knows, I think, he's not supposed to. Yeah, he tells Sheev more about himself than he tells Obi-Wan, right? I mean, yeah. did he, has he even told Obi-Wan what happened to his mom? No. No, because no, Obi-Wan uh, notes in here, you know, besides thinking he maybe should have a conversation with Anakin about Padme, he should try to find out what really happened on Tatooine. He knows something big went down, but he doesn't know what it was. Well, that's right. He has a whole like, when he wants to tell me, he'll tell me type mm-hmm. of thing. He's never going to tell you. He's not. <laughs> maybe he'll tell him on the show. Vader will tell him. Maybe Vader will tell him on the show. <laughs> Mother and children. I killed them all. Yeah. Kill them all. So um, we got a lot of cameos in this book. Uh, we got a lot of different uh, council members. We got a, a quick Quinlan Voss, little uh, Joe Tapal, and Cal Kestis for a second. Are you mad that with all of those other characters even just mentioned, there's not one word about Plo Koon in here? He's at this point single handedly winning the war after Geonosis. <laughs> For all these Jedi are talking about it, he's out there. He's a man of action. <laughs> and he's really taking care of business. Actually, I don't ever think you see him in the in the council room again. He's always there by Holo, I think. You think yeah. he, is in the, he is in the field the whole time. He's busy. busy. He's not one of them sitting Jedi's. He's an action Jedi. Um and and another person that came back or being that came back was uh, Dex. Yeah. And having watched that panel with Mike Chen before reading this book, um, Dex made a lot more sense to me than if I had not. Uh, 
Mike Chen is a really big Mass Effect fan. So if you know the Shadow Broker storyline from Mass Effect, that's he was a huge fan of that whole storyline and he wanted Dex to be his Shadow Broker for this book. And and having heard that, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, that was new information, right? That Dex used to be a, an information broker. This book, I'll say one one knock I'll give against this book. It's not really a knock, but this book is heavy on the MacGuffins, like where it's like he finds a data pad. What's on the data pad? Proof. Yeah. Evidence. And you're like, but but what is it? It's evidence. Okay. But Anakin, I'm going to send this to you so you can disprove the evidence. All right, give it to Dex so he can disprove the evidence. Dex says it's it's real evidence. Well, that's no good. It, like, but it's all just ter- it's all just very generic. Mm-hmm. Well, Rug also has evidence. Rug is also you know getting evidence and getting proof. That's and just- my only problem with the book is that they have all this evidence. What does it point to? Well, it points to both sides. But okay, what does that mean? We don't know. Yeah, we, says, we don't we need found, to know. We're we fine. found this evidence that it points to the Republic. Well, what is that? Can you explain it to me? Can you lay it out? Like nope. exactly? Nope. We just ran simulations, and that's what it's telling us. You know, yeah. every they're always running simulations of the of the explosion of the terrorist attack and stuff. And you're just like, it's so it's it's a bunch of gobbledygook. It really is all it is. Do you think it's like Dex and in front of a screen going enhance enhance? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be something like that. Um, yeah, I just I just noticed. I was just like, all right, here. More, a little more MacGuffin-y, a uh, little, little too mcguffin for me at times. Well, of course, you know, what nobody knows is that that was all Sheev's doing anyway, because he wanted to give them a reason to have to become part of the army for real. To, oh, to no, of course. To pull them in. But, of course. you know, that that's not mentioned until the very, very end. It's only hinted at a little bit here and there. But everybody just goes, okay, well, we've got evidence now. We're good. We're done. Yeah, but as soon as Asajj shows up, you know that, like... You know the the Republic didn't do it. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean you know she has something to do with it. But do you think she knows? I mean, she wouldn't know. Her and Dooku don't probably know that she planted all of it, right? Dooku I don't know. They might. She probably they doesn't. They, I don't know. They, they don't know that Palpatine is Sidious. Like I mean, what I think is like Dooku. I mean, I've always like he's a pretty hardcore actual believer in the separatists. In the separatists, yes. In the Sith, I don't think so. Yeah, and so he probably really does think the Republic did it. Like he's probably all in that camp. Yep, they totally did this. Um, now, I mean, who actually did it? I mean, I don't know. Was she waddling around down there, like <laughs> planting bombs? Don't look at me. Okay, so I didn't miss that, right? It's no, not very no. clear. No, we it's don't know who clear. planted these bombs. Okay, because I listened to it twice, and I was going to come in here and ask you guys if I was a moron. Well, the secondary bombs were, were Kitar. Yeah, that was yeah, Kitar. Was Kitar? But, but the initial explosion, it doesn't. We don't know who actually did it. Obi Wan's evidence pointed to the Republic. Rug's evidence pointed to the Separatists, and and nobody ever figured out which one it really was because. You know, oh, it couldn't it couldn't be the Sith. There's no way with 10,000 Jedis running around that the Sith could do something like this. I mean, obviously they did, but nobody, nobody tried to find out more. It seems very exhausting to be prequel heir chief 
many moving parts, many like <laughs> a lot going on for old Sheev. That's what aged him so quickly. I'd rather be like ten years later, Sheev. Like those are the good times, you know? Yeah, the chilling. I'm just gonna sit in this throne. Remember who you're talking to when the phone rings? Like I hope they have caller ID on the Holonets, you know, if you have to like <laughs> put your robe and your hood on or <laughs> wear your Chancellor outfit. <laughs> It's true. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I, you know what? She deserved to win. He put he a did. lot of work in. Yeah. He really tried. He got you know. He may be evil, but you got to admire his work ethic. <laughs> yeah, he did more than anybody else. I'm sorry, Plo Koon. He did more work than Plo Koon. I mean, that's really the take up, I guess. The Sith love a working man. <laughs> <laughs> when there's only one of you, you got to put in the effort. Did anybody else think about Star Trek Six during the trial? <laughs> I actually did. It reminded me of Star Trek Six. I actually imagine we had the ball in his hand for the gavel and he slams it down and the sparks come out. Yeah. The undiscovered country. Oh okay. When when Kirk Kirk goes on trial and gets sent to the, the frozen jail planet. Um it reminded me of that in key I, I'll say this, Kitar's speech was way too long. Yeah, it was. It was way too long. First of all, Kitar should not be that eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> like Kitar is supposed to be, and, and Kitar's no, speech went an on. Idiot. Kitar's speech went on forever. Like that that chapter of Obi Wan's trial, I found to be a little tedious. Mm-hmm. Let's get to let's get to Anakin showing up. We know Anakin's going to show up. Let's get to Anakin showing up. Like it's spinning its wheels a little. Just like I thought with Queen's Hope, and I, I've felt this with a lot of our books recently. And maybe that's maybe it's me. I feel like a lot of them are getting bogged down in the middle. Yeah, a little bit. Um, they're not quite they're not keeping their momentum throughout the entire book. Um, and, and they, they end strong, but it, it just feels to me like the, it, it's, it's like the plot all of a sudden gets in the way. These authors, like you said, Beth, these authors are interested in writing about the characters and the relationships and the ideas, right. And the, the bigger stuff, but they have to have a plot. And sometimes that even gets in their way. Well, he knew he had a, an end point. Like you can tell he had a very clear end point, wrap up this business on Cato Nemoidia. But it didn't seem like he had the clearest idea of how we were going to get there. You know, because Obi-Wan gets caught, then he escapes, then he gets caught again, then he's about to escape again. Yeah, these these stories aren't particularly inspired. These plot lines aren't particularly inspired. They're, they're fairly fairly pat, right? There's nothing there's nothing too too crazy about them. They're all about this book is about Anakin and Obi-Wan and the, the story is tertiary to everything else. We got the origin of their happy landing inside joke. Yeah, we did. We also got the origin of Obi-Wan's haircut. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very important. And the most important star Wars questions of all have been answered. How do they take their calf? That's that true. Is true. Stop writing books now, guys. We're done. Yeah. What is it? Obi-Wan takes it black. Yeah. And Anakin yeah. has one cream. Anakin has one cream in it. There is that shot in the Andor trailer of like two Imperials with like their Starbucks cups, their Starbucks cups. I don't know if you noticed that in the Andor trailer, it's just like two Imperial officers and they've got like Starbucks looking mugs and they drink them like at the same time. And I'm like, yeah, why not? I was at the end. I was a little surprised how cool everyone was when Bill's like, yeah, I'm not really going to do this whole Jedi thing. And then they're like, well, cool. You can like hang around the hospital or whatever and (laughs) help some people over there. Like, Have we seen that a lot? Like you would think there, there's going to be a whole lot of kids that are like, well, there used to be the Jedi. (laughs) There used to be what the Jedi agricultural Corps. Remember that where they used to mention that a lot, where that was kind of where kids would go if they washed out. Uh huh. 
they said go learn to be be like force farmers or whatever it is yeah um yeah i mean i thought it was interesting uh to have mill kind of yeah you gotta you gotta imagine some kids just bounce out yeah but she's 10 that's a big decision to make as a 10 year old well, look, it's also a big decision to give a 10-year-old a laser sword. But well, the Jedi okay. don't seem concerned about that. Uh, does Vector reattach hands? No, I guess not. No, no. It's not super glue. <laughs> no. <laughs> Stick no. it on and push it back. It, uh, it just accelerates your natural healing process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had to get rid of Mill somehow. Because if she had stayed with the Jedi, clearly, clearly she would have been Anakin's new Padawan. Like, <laughs> so you got to get rid of her somehow. Or, or you, you're left with the image of Anakin killing her. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, you know, three years later, she's 13. I guess she might be a Padawan by then. I don't know. That's the even more depressing thing. They don't show in Revenge of the Sith. After he finishes off the kids, he goes to the hospital ward, starts stabbing people in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> all the war, all the was injured from the war. <laughs> yeah. There's some dark shit that went on in that temple. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, there we don't see him a lot, but I mean, there's probably like a Jedi in a wheelchair, you know, <laughs> or like yeah. there's the old folks' home somewhere, and that's where Anakin goes next. The dementia, <laughs> the dementia ward. <laughs> One of those Professor X uh, floaty chairs. Yeah. Oh God, I'm just trying to think of like he rolls in and it's like some Jedi in his wheelchair looking up in dementia, thinking Anakin's his like old Padawan. Is that it's, you, it's Quarter right? Angle? It's like yeah. Quarter Angle. It's Burry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Burry, Burry could totally still be alive. Yeah. Yeah, he could. Poor old gray Burry. Yeah. All confused. Looks up. Is that you, Amiri? Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> yeah, where is Burry? Oh, now I'm, now I'm really worried about Burry. Oh, Emery, I thought I was fighting Rathtars again. Stab, stab, stab. I, I did like... Um, Anakin's trick of uh, pretending to have interference when Mace called. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you're the oldest trick in the book. Breaking up. But to do that, I, I love his defiance of Mace, where he's like, just not going to answer. Just not going to answer him. Yeah. He's going to keep. And in, in the audiobook, it's funny too, because Mark Thompson's doing it. He's just like, it's just like Skywalker. And he's like, can't hear you. Just can't hear you. Not going to answer. Well, and they just more and more drive home that Mace just hates him, just has always been so against him. I like that. Mm -hmm. I I, I do like that. You know, that, I mean, he was the one, it it makes you think that when it came, when you're in the Phantom Menace, like he's the one that had the final say when he says you're, you're not to be trained, you know, like that he was the one that put his foot down and said no fucking way. I mean, he was kind of a dick about it, but yeah, he wasn't wrong. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the day he's not wrong this is a real good book yeah it's really good i was surprised like just just because it was an author we hadn't read before yeah yeah and i didn't even remember his story from uh from a certain point of view i haven't he read wrote it a yet. sheave story no did he yeah i haven't yeah. Even read it yet because it's in the second one right yeah yes you know we had the conversation earlier and it, we couldn't help but be colored by it but this is one of the best portrayals of anakin we've ever had mm-hmm. it gets the mood swings right yeah. yeah, yeah. I made the joke he's bipolar, but he does come off like he flips on a dime sometimes. Well, he um he gets really aggro towards Mill at one point, like they're having this nice moment together, and she says, "Well, what if the Republic did have something to do with it?" And he just flips. Like, what do yeah. you mean? You can't question the Republic. That que- you're questioning me. You're questioning the Jedi. You're questioning Sheev. 
Well, it's like what you see when sometimes abuse victims get questioned about their abuser. Like, lots of times they'll be really defensive of the abuser, and that's kind of, I think, what he does with she. And you see that throughout the rest of, even in the prequels, you see it. Yeah, no, his, I did, it is interesting to watch how, how much Sheaf has everyone wrapped around his little finger, like, except for maybe like Padme. <laughs> and he, actually, no, even Padme trusts no, him. No, because Padme, yeah. at the end, when uh, they get back and, and they run oh, into Padme, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's turned over the evidence to, to Sheaf, and Obi-Wan's like, wait, why? Ha-? Maybe Obi-Wan's the only one that doesn't yeah. trust him 100%. Because yeah. Wi- Windu stands up for him, too. Mm-hmm. Like they all, he he's got them fooled. Yeah, because Obi Wan questions the um, younglings being trained too. Well, Anakin does as well, but he's quickly talked out of it. Well, Obi Wan questions the value of bringing politics into what they're doing. You know, not only are they being, not only are they being forced into or conscripted into being leaders in this war. Now, you know, the now politics they're also being forced to interact with politics. And they kind of talk about that with Obi-Wan, where he talks about him always being the rule follower and how Qui-Gon kind of affected him like that. Um, so yeah. it's more like Qui-Gon kind of peeking through. Qui-Gon would totally saw through that Bantha bullshit. Like, <laughs> Qui-Gon had been like, nope. <laughs> like That's the what if I want to see then. What if Qui-Gon had, had trained Anakin instead? You know? Yeah. What if Obi-Wan had made it through the laser shield before Qui-Gon? What if he had used his force speed <laughs> that we see him use at the beginning of the movie? Yeah. Don't they try to explain it away in here? They talk about how much energy it takes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you very tired. Like you used it to run away from droid to co- from droid but you couldn't do it to, to save your master. Come on. <laughs> yep. But he wouldn't have, then he wouldn't have the energy to do the behind the back parry. Yep. Parry. So we need that. And we, and we definitely need that. <laughs> But yeah, this book is, uh, it's, it's real good. And it, it, it helped me a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had a few nitpicks with the story and of course we do all feel like it kind of dragged in the middle, but it's so worth reading just for the characterizations and learning more about all of them and all the things that, you know, that they probably did feel, but we've never got to see them feel before. Yeah. Did you like the, uh, Game of Thrones type of uh, chapter storytelling with each each chapter being a point of view character. Yeah, I did. I, I thought like it was what, effective. Yeah. Yeah. And they I mean, they kept the, the mill chapters cut down enough because we weren't going to see a whole lot from a 10 year old's perspective. But she actually, because of her force ability, has an interesting perspective. And then just spice in a few little Asajj there's a couple of sides. There's like two Padme chapters, I think. Yeah, Rook has quite a few. I think Rook's the third uh-huh. build character, I'd say, in this book. Um, she's, you know, she's got as much screen time, more screen time than Mill does. Um, Rook's a big part of the story. Kitar has a little too much screen time for me, but um, but I, I did like that. I did like seeing that that how. You know, Kitar, we can we can poke fun at him because of his name, first of all. But I thought he was a good example of watching someone get radicalized, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so, something has, terrible has happened to his plant, to his planet, <clears throat> 9-11. And um, he's desperately looking for someone to blame. And someone comes along and says, hey, have you seen this YouTube video? And that's Asajj Ventress. And he 
explains and she whispers in his ear and tells him who's to blame. And he's just so blinded by by grief and anger and, and sadness that he just latches onto the first thing and goes, yep, must be that must be the Republic. I'm going to buy into everything you say, because you're right. It's, this is, this is the who to blame. I, I like to, I mean, they made the separatists. I mean, it makes sense. That whole part where they talk about it's his parents that were the artists yeah. and they were supposed to be these amazing artists and the Republic didn't care. Like yeah, the Republic only wants you when you're the trade federation. Where they can get something out of you. Yeah, no, I don't think the Republic comes across looking too rosy as far as their relationship with the Nemoidians either. Yeah. You know, um, it, do, it does feel like, a, I don't know if it's like Korea or something, but it's a planet they, that you only interact with when you want something out of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought that was, yeah, that was effective too. Well, I mean, the Republic aren't the good guys. They're just not the bad guys. Yeah, they're just, you know, what did Jefferson say? It's uh, democracy is the worst government on the planet, except for all the others. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Republic is is the worst galaxy, worst government in the entire galaxy, except for all the others. The Republic is the empire. Like, yes, it is like and it doesn't have to change that much. It doesn't. They just get matching uniforms and they're there. There's a reason people are real cool with it real fast. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a change of clothes. We're good to go. Through the mist, two silhouettes emerged. The glow of their blades giving off enough light to eliminate any doubt of who approached, of who could pull off something as impossible as this rescue. There stood Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker, brothers in arms of the Jedi Order. And together, they were unstoppable. So, Chad, what are we going to talk about next time? So we've read a lot of good Star Wars authors on here, but there's one that we haven't touched yet. And that is a man named Michael A. Stackpole, who's one of my personal favorites. So we're going to go back to Legends next time. And we're going to read the first X-Wing book, Rogue Squadron. I've already started it again, and I still love it. Mm -hmm. The man can write a space battle. He's got a bunch of great characters. And um, yeah, we're just going to go back and, and we're probably not going to read the whole series, but we're just going to check out Rogue Squadron and, and uh, uh, go back and, and see if it holds up. Rogue Squadron, Michael A. Stackpole. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you all soon. Let it go about the helmet. He won't let it go. I just think it's funny that that's what I'm going to stick on. Everybody's going to be a racist towards <laughs> one lady. I'm just going to be pissy about a helmet. That's that's the high ground he's going to die on. Roger, roger.